Each year, Red Havas publishes an annual Red Sky Predictions Report that forecasts 10 trends shaping the integrated communications and PR landscape. This report is intended to serve as a playbook for brand communicators and marketers to help make sense of the lessons we've learned over the past year. We look at what's changing, why, what it means for the future, and how brands can make the most of it to build meaningful engagement and experiences with the audiences they want to reach. The predictions covered in this year's report span the marketplace and the workplace, customer safety and retail experience, the future and the past, the digital and social media space, and healthcare and technology. In this episode of the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast, we will examine how some of these predictions are playing out and shaping the 2022 communications and PR landscape. So now I pass it over to one of the authors of this report, global CEO of Red Havas, and global chairman at Havas PR Global Collective and moderator of today's discussion, James Wright. Thank you, Nancy. Joining me today to review some of these predictions is Andrew Bimson, who is the Chief Operating Officer for sports data company SportRadar North America and formerly CMO at Bloomberg. Catherine Reichart, who is the Director of Employee Engagement at Insurer Equitable. And my colleague, Devitha Tiller, who leads our social and integration here at Red Havas. I appreciate everybody joining us today. Okay, we've, we've been doing the Red Sky Predictions Report for four or five years now, and it's an opportunity to assess what's happening in the world of PR and communications, to gaze into the near future uh, and the far future sometimes. And we do that through our own research, insights from our clients, the media, and from our colleagues all over the world. And we take all of that and we put that together into this predictions report. In the past, we've looked at everything from how mental health uh, would go mainstream, the impact of 5G, contactless communication and the idea of what we call virtual, a blend of physical and ever more satisfying virtual, how brands can get caught up in sports washing. And one of the big predictions we developed last year was that of the Vax influencer, those that are for and against vaccines in the influencer space and the role that they would play um, throughout 2021. And that came to life in a, in a big way uh, as a prediction. And doing these predictions now, um, I think is even more fascinating because for me, the world of public relations and strategic comms has never been so important in building trust, relationships, and brand. These past two years have seen our world change forever, not just in terms of how we work, but how we live, interact, and build our lives and communities. And yes, the, the, the pandemic has been a core driver of that, but so has key social issues that have been elevated to new planes, uh, issues such as equal justice, equity, diversity, pay, working conditions, benefits. We have reassessed, reappraised, and reset what is important to us all individually, as families, as communities, and as a workforce. Um, and in turn, I guess businesses and organizations, governments have had to do the same. And that makes for a really rich environment to work in PR and communications. So looking at trends and predictions and how this will evolve is exciting to do. It's thought provoking. And that is what we want from this report to learn, of course, but also to encourage people to think and help further the industry through uh, their own predictions of how these trends might play out. So moving into this year's report, one of the Big focuses um, in the report is that around purpose and corporate purpose and how this has really been disrupted over the last sort of uh, year and what that will look like going forward. And even before the pandemic and social protests of 2020, people all around the world were rallying around purpose. And our proprietary meaningful brands research that we do at Havas found that almost 80% of consumers prefer to buy from companies and brands that share their values. And studies by Deloitte and others find that purpose is an important factor when people particularly millennials, choose where they want to work. 
And as public expectations for companies have increased, more brands have leaned into purpose, infusing their purpose into their commercials, into advertising, into their social media, into their PR, all of the statements that you might see from their C-suite too. And not surprising, this greater emphasis on purpose has also led to greater scrutiny of uh, what brands and companies do, what are they doing in terms of their actions against the statements and the pledges that they may have made in the past. And, and they're being held accountable by every stakeholder, both internal and external. Um, and we've seen a lot of companies being called out for not marrying their actions with the words that they've given in the past. And we've seen this from companies across all industries, from Google, Microsoft, and Netflix, to Adidas, Estee Lauder, and beauty brand Glossier. Andrew, uh, let's start with you. Um, how are you seeing purpose evolving in your space and your experience? Well, firstly, uh, I, I've always enjoyed um, the predictive analysis um, from Red Havas. Um, so it's always tested my own hypotheses to a certain extent. So it's a real privilege to contribute um, to this conversation. I, I think there's three kind of things here around. Um, so let's start with evolution in terms of what's changed, right? Simply put, I think this comes down to one of the most important human characteristics that we should all be governed by, and that's authenticity. A company's purpose must be authentic and rooted simply in its corporate DNA. And consumers and employees can sniff out BS pretty quickly, right? We've seen some greenwashing kind of being replaced by purpose washing. And in this rush to stand for something, some firms and brands have risked putting the purpose story ahead of the plan and actions. In the age of social media transparency, employees and, and others will be quick to call a company out if those words don't necessarily match those actions. Um, we now have numerous examples of firms where reputation where reputation has taken a hit by their own employees jumping on social media or taking to the streets even to become whistleblowers on, on calling out that employer behaviour. What's clear for the C-suite here, I believe, is to make purpose a strategy for business management, not necessarily business marketing. Purpose is not exclusively, uh, I don't believe it's exclusively a marketing discipline, so to speak. It, it's really that simple. It should resonate throughout the organization and be the fabric of what that firm stands for. That was certainly the case at Bloomberg when I was there. It started at the top with Mike and resonated throughout all 20,000 employees. Away from Bloomberg for a bit, and I guess generally speaking here, the confusion has been created for a business that it's sometimes easier to talk about purpose than actually deliver it. And I think that's the challenge, right? It's how do you kind of like think it through and then actually actually make it into meaningful action that you can actually take to the market. Businesses are full of great stories and intentions, and therefore it's a natural tendency for it to start with the marketing department. However, I think I just think that thought's a little too narrow. Purpose must drive, certainly must drive action within a firm. And it's got to be advocated throughout the organization, just not centrally orientated out of marketing. Otherwise, I don't feel it's got the chance of ever taking root, or at least it doesn't have a chance of becoming a significant impact inside of the firm. Putting my operations hat on here a little, uh, I think you've got to find a way of attaching it to commercial value. There's no doubt about that. And you've got to link it to outcomes and, and tangible goals or KPIs. And you've got to really find that plan for change and understand what the whole company is striving for and what's required from that change. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I mean, I think what we're hearing there is, you know, I think purpose is really at a crossroads now, isn't it? Where it could be used, you know, for in a very strong way and as a strategic driver for the business, both in terms of providing it's authentic, but equally, if it's if it's um, if you're going out with statements around purpose that you can't back up then it could also backfire on you. It's almost like purpose has become a re reputational management issue 
And, and Catherine, you've been on the, the front line over the last couple of years driving employee comms and engagement. I mean, first at the Federal Reserve and now at an insurance company. What's your take on the current state of purpose and how it's evolving? I think about this a lot, and hearing Andrew speak um, really resonated with me, particularly, Andrew, what you said about the rush to stand for something. You know, we think about the past 30, 40 years when things happened that companies needed to comment on. They would release a statement, the furor would die down, and then nothing would happen. And that's not enough anymore. You know, nowadays, like you mentioned, James, everyone is demanding action and not just words. And I believe that the pandemic was a driving force behind that. You know, human beings do not like change. And there were way too many changes happening all at the same time. And people have a new and heightened sense of what I do matters. And I want to do something that matters. So companies are responding to this in many ways internally. And the most pronounced trend I've seen is responding to needs and concerns, you know, in everything from employee benefits to corporate statements about action, to linking that to internal efforts, particularly DEI, and ultimately trying to create an atmosphere and a company and a belief system that resonates with employees and that they can support. So purpose has taken on a little bit bigger role. And, you know, again, as Andrew said, it's more visible, it's transparent, and statements are not enough actions need to be paid attention to. And, and also inaction as well. I think, you know, there's been True. definitely this move from allyship of certain, let's say, social issues that were okay to, to stand on the sidelines and, and, and to be an ally. But now there's this sort of movement towards an active allyship right. where the expectation is that the organization has a point of view on issues like, for example, in the US over the last sort of 12 to 18 months of you know, the George Floyd murder, the Asian hate movement, all of these pieces that uh, the vac- you know, vaccines, um, all of this mm-hmm. kind of comes true. And I think particularly it's it's come through with this kind of rise of the empowered employee. And we we kind of talked about that right. um, in the past. I think the whole right. concept right. of recognizing the importance of your internal stakeholders has become really to the fore as we've seen this sort of flipping of the pyramid of authority as sort of like employees are starting to have much more say on how a business operates and behaves and, and of course, its purpose. I mean, do you, do you see that too? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because companies have always professed to care about their employees. And, you know, some let's be honest, some do, some don't. And the caring manifests itself in benefits, flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. And most workers have seen a taste of a new world in the last few years. And to go back, to, you know, while all the nostalgia for the before times, before the pandemic is real, most people are thinking, well, well, wait a minute, this didn't work for me. I, I don't want to work like that. I don't want to live like that. I can live where I want. I can work where I want. And if this employer won't help me do that, I'm out of here. I'm doing something else. So the power balance has definitely shifted. And, you know, at the same time, going back to purpose, employees want to feel that their work matters and they need visible action from that company they choose to work for that's, that aligns with their personal values. It's like a revolution and revolutions yeah. happen when the majority get on board. And what we've seen is an entire generation 
and not just young generations, all generations realize that they need a social mm-hmm. conscience. And that's the tipping point where we're at right. today. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting point because I think that term crossroads or even resolute uh, revolution is, is, is timely. And I, I just feel with that kind of shift of power balance, everything is now on the table. Whereas before where, where you know, a corporate directive could kind of think about what they want to say and how they want to say it because they're pushing it out. Brands, you know, brands need to find those connection points with their consumers, their partners, their community and employees for sure. And all those societal topics that were once shuffled to the do not talk about list are now out in the open because they're, they're just driven by employees wanting to talk about it, whether that's diversity, equity, inclusion, climate change, you know, mental health, but they're all front and centre. I mean, you think about mental health, that was never spoken about three years ago, four years ago. It was, it, it was, it was talked about in circles where people cared about it, but now it's it's mainstream conversation. And who would have thought that five years ago? Yeah, that, that's a great segue into, you know, one of our other predictions in, in this year's report, which is, you know, how personal or personality is getting personal. So, you know, how you have to think about each individual in your organisation and shape kind of their experience and how you deal with them at a, at a personal level with empathy and, and you know, with the knowledge that, they, that everyone is going through different situations, whether that's, you know, because of uh, the pandemic, because of situations at home, whether they want to work from home or, or in the office, et cetera. And a lot of that has also kind of, I think, been driven by employees sharing their experiences, particularly through social media, and, and some of it positive, a lot of it also negative, which has actually kind of sometimes forced organizations to, to change tact or to focus on certain areas. I mean, you look at what happens with the likes of Amazon and, and others toward the end of last year. So how is that? How do you, how are you seeing that from a, a social perspective, and how that plays a big role in how we view companies and and, and employers? Because I mean, surely you know if you if you see a company treating its employees well, you're more likely to buy from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this has been a fascinating shift because you know as we just talked about, we we are really seeing that employees are taking the charge in the type of experience that they want to have with the company, and it's no longer up to the up to the business or the company to say like this is how we do X Y Z. It actually, you know, it's kind of almost like it's more about listening and really responding to the individual needs of people, um, and those experiences uh, when they are you know kind of created for employees. Uh, there's nothing better than to share them, of course. And I think what we're seeing is that uh, employee engagement and kind of looking at employees truly as influencers, as brand ambassadors, really, um, you know, is something that more and more companies are getting on board with and seeing the value of just even the increased level of engagement that you get on employee generated content versus, you know, brand generated content. It's more authentic. It's a, it's a genuine behind the scenes kind of experience that you're seeing firsthand uh, through the eyes of the employee. And we're seeing companies, um, really take that serious now. Like if you look at Walmart, for example, they've just launched a massive, um, you know, employee influencer program where they're actually helping their employees become social influencers by, you know, basically paying them to post on social and share their their experiences, um, you know, and we've always seen Walmart kind of be a leader in this space. They always had, you know, from the get-go, individual Facebook pages for each of their stores and things like that to really bring that authentic kind of local lens. But now they're aiming to roll this out to all of their employees in the coming years and kind of give everybody an opportunity to have an additional, you know, revenue stream simply to share what they do on social. 
Um, so they're, they're one example, but there's many other companies that are starting to, I guess, truly formalize the idea of, of employee influencers and, um, and tap into them as a voice for the brand that is more authentic and engaging. You know, having obviously experienced this, you know, at different sizes of organizations now working for a, you know, a hyper growth scale up. Are you seeing a different approach to the different organizations that you've worked in, you know, of different sizes, or is it all actually everybody needs to be thinking about the same things? Uh, I think it's a little bit more the latter, but latter than the former. It, it feels like this story has been perpetuating the market since COVID kind of slingshot us into this new way of looking at life, work, and just general out our own well-being. But we have to remember what purpose means, though. A purposeful life is one full of intention, directionality, and meaning. I mean, that, that hasn't changed. It's always been there. It just happens that COVID has kind of really kind of like put a lens on top of it. I, I spoke about authenticity before. A true sense of purpose does two things in my perspective. Um, it drives that, It needs to drive our actions, and it needs to influence how we feel. And, that, and that's especially the case in the workplace. And you know, inside of that is that there's a there's a need for the consideration of relevancy. The more employees feel like their work has to have meaning, or what I like to call relevance, the more it needs to more positively impact their attitudes and their work performance. And I, I kind of think about this as almost like an equation of sorts. You know, relevance begets visibility, visibility begets recognition, and then recognition drives performance. So if you can kind of work through that equation, and, and by the way, this is a sort of irrelevant of where people work or what they're doing. It's the principle of just understanding human nature. So we've found that working for a paycheck is not enough to satisfy not only the, the up-and-coming generations, I think it's most people now are feeling that purpose is a big part of why they want to be attracted to a company. But don't get me wrong, we're all seeing the market uh, is really hot now and there's a lot of churn um, and there's a lot of change and there's a lot of compensation conversations going on around people kind of jumping for more money. But I think compensation is transactional, almost like a sugar high. And really millennials and other generations want to know that what's in it for them from a, from a job relevancy standpoint and what's the connection or the collection of all the important projects and mundane tasks they're going to get done, and how do they contribute to that bigger picture? I think we've remembered that we're all human over the last couple of years, haven't we? You know, I think and the human yeah. stories have always resonated well, but at, at a time when the fragility of life and livelihoods has come into sharp focus, it's it's really I think pervaded every part of a business, and that means you know the CEO is going through the same thing that you know, anyone on the shop floor floor is, and I think that's also meant that. I think everyone's really leaned into this concept of empathy and, you know, trying to get through this last couple of years with as much, uh, without having to, to make too many, you know, decisions that, that perhaps uh, in the past might have been made that would have led to a lot more people losing their jobs. And, and you know, it's it's been, I think, very much corporate America. I mean, when we're talking about the US in particular, corporate America really that's led the charge in communications around you know, the pandemic, et cetera, where we were getting a lot of mixed messages from different politics, uh, p- political organizations, should I say, and different media. It seemed to be actually organizations that were leading the charge in that way. Catherine, did you see that? Absolutely. You know, I looked upon it as someone stepping into the void, you know, to give people a sense of direction and something to something to lessen the uncertainty. 
you know, every single person in the world was having a unique first time experience when it came to the pandemic. And in the absence of credible information from public health officials or conflicting information, people turned to the organizations they knew, namely their employers. What I've seen in my network and in companies I've worked for is that love or hate the advice, people appreciate receiving some guidance on this. And, you know, now it's become part of the employee experience. Um, since everyone has a different risk level, I've talked to people who are considering, well, this company wants me to work in the office all the time. I don't think that doesn't fit with my risk tolerance, you know, and this company will offer me flexibility to work wherever I want. That fits with my risk tolerance and how I want to live my life. So it's it's interesting, the shift in we moved away from paternalistic companies for a long time, and now there's an element of companies taking on that role in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've seen also brands take on that leadership role in a very practical yeah. way as well. I think, um, you know, I, I was based in New York through the very dark times of, of COVID and the frightened nature of communities not, not sure about you know, whether, when they can go back to, to retail. And it was really, it was almost Starbucks that sort of led the way with this. It was like once Starbucks opened its mm-hmm. doors, it right. was like a, it was, it was kind of like a moment where everyone said, okay, it's okay to go outside again and actually go into a, a shop and purchase something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that really interesting. And, you know, the, the trust that we have in those brands that almost is you know, subconscious that came through and, and particularly their CEO was very active in, in talking about um, how they were going to manage their transformation and it was almost like we've got, because I think we're now in this world of mixed external where external internal communications are one thing now and they have to match. So everything Agreed. he was saying internally was coming out external. I totally agree with you. And also, you know, Starbucks is a great example because, you know, consumers seem to be a little gun shy about going back to an in-person retail environment. And a lot of what I read and a lot of research I read indicated that people were thinking about how do these brands keep me safe? If I choose to patronize them, you know, buy them, go here, buy this, how are they helping to keep me safe? And that still manifests itself in a lot of ways, even today, and will going forward. Yeah, thank you, Dav. And what's, what was your take on this? Obviously now a young mom now, um, I think, you know, just from a personal experience, how have you sort of seen that play out and, and what sort of been are the touch points that you've seen? And, and what great communications have you seen that sort of led you to believe actually this, this company is more than, you know, just what it says uh, on its packet. It, it is actually does stand for something beyond the badge. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think, yeah, it, it definitely, of course, having a family and having young children, you know, who just aren't, especially now, don't have the same level of protection um, that we do, a whole different consideration set. So, um, and I think, you know, from an employee perspective, like that, that just means that you you do need that understanding and um, you want to work for an employer who, you know, looks at you uh, not just as a person and an employee, but as, you know, the kind of the parent that you are and the, the role that you play um, outside of work is is so critical to that. So um, that I think is um, is really important. Let's switch gears anyway and talk about what's happening in the social media space now. Um, yeah. Because we have another prediction this year, which is around um, as seen on social. And TikTok in particular has has really shone a a spotlight on the role social can play in driving retail hype, both across uh, traditional media and uh, beyond its own platform. 
uh, you know, whereas in the past you might see a product that you, you, you know, that says uh, as seen on TV or as seen in the New York Times, it's now said, you know, brands are now using as seen on TikTok. Dabs, break this down for us. Yeah, I mean, this has been a major trend that really, and, you know, selling on social is not a new concept. I mean, S-commerce, you know, was one of our trends like a couple of years ago. And so we've seen this concept of, you know, kind of brands or, or social playing a major role in the whole kind of consideration and purchase funnel, you know, from from driving brand and product awareness down to the actual conversions happening on social media. This is all not very new, but um, what we have seen is that, you know, players like TikTok have really changed the game in terms of kind of flipping that concept on its head, where it's not necessarily selling through social, but social is actually selling the brand uh, or or the product by creating hype and kind of trend around it. And TikTok has been a major, um, you know, force in that in that process. And we've seen, you know, even the hashtag TikTok made me buy it go viral um, in the last year. I mean, it's it's gotten more than 5 billion views at this point. Uh, and made many different types of products from, you know, leggings to purses to cleaning materials. Um, you know, you you probably remember the pasta, uh, you know, the feta cheese pasta really becoming a surprise hit. So we're kind of seeing these new product trends being born uh, on social media, specifically on creative uh, platforms like TikTok, where people kind of use products as a prop in their, you know, whatever story they're telling, whatever dance they're doing, whatever fun they're having. It's then how how do kind of marketers and brands respond to those trends? So um, that's that's really what the kind of as seen on social trend is all around. And it's the new as seen on TV, um, you know, so we're seeing that shift happen. And um, I think, you know, one of the examples that we highlighted in this trend was uh, it's sugar. So they are, you know, they're a candy manufacturer and, and store. And basically, um, TikTok has become a really critical part of their sales strategy. So they've got an entire section on their website that is all about, you know, trending, which products are trending on social. And TikTok now makes up 5 to 10% of their weekly sales. So really, um, it's, it's having a major impact for many types of companies, but especially retailers. We've also seen Barnes and Noble, you know, the bookstore, they've got a section in their store that is called Book Talk. And it's kind of highlighting all of the books or aggregating the books uh, in, in the physical environment that are trending online and specifically on TikTok. And equally, you know, Amazon has launched uh, an internet famous section on their site where you can, again, like just kind of browse products by social popularity and, and uh, level of engagement. So this is um, a trend that is really I would say was very much born on TikTok, but is now starting to shape how companies are indeed showcasing and promoting their products across the boards, both on the kind of in the online, but also in the physical sense. That's, you know, I think in the past, the there's been a lot of concern about how social can really drive sales. But I think that C is, is changing now. And I think you know, mm. TikTok has been a big driver of that. I mean, Andrew... How, how is TikTok, how is that changing how you're seeing, you know, your company approach its marketing? It, it, I think TikTok, I think social as a general is an interesting kind of concept. And I, I can use an example in terms of personal example is if you think about screen time and the use of those devices, being the father of two daughters, two teenage daughters, one in high school, one in college, it's really interesting, especially my younger daughter, 16, to understand her behavior about self-regulating her time on these platforms, which I found really interesting. We had a really interesting conversation two or three weeks ago 
where she said, I'm, I'm going to remove myself from this for a period of time because I think I've seen enough or I'm not sure. She just had this kind of aversion to having too much influence coming to her via her screen, which I, which I thought was really interesting because two, five, ten years ago, what yeah. parents, we would have been the ones regulating that, right? But I think there's just now a generational impact of people understanding because they're educated in this space on what it means to be on these screens and what it means to be exposed to that type of content, which then I think creates a challenge for all the marketers in using that channel to know that there is almost a share of mind or a share of screen time that they've got to be conscious about how much they do push through those particular channels. There's, I mean, there's such a, a vast amount of experimentation on social platforms in terms of how to, to sell. And TikTok mm. in particular, I think, is really taking that to a new level. I mean, do you think mm. that, for example, Andrew, your daughters know that they're being sold to on TikTok by brands? Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. To the point that they now make fun of it. Like, they're, they're, they're very aware of that channel being a vehicle to influence purchase. There's no doubt about it. And Catherine, yeah. how are you seeing it? I look at social media a little bit differently, having worked most of my career in internal communications. And I agree with your point, James, that internal and external communications are really one big bucket now. It crosses lines. You know, I look at employer brands on social media and think, okay, for a lot of people, that's their first touch point with a company and their first bit of the employee experience. So what an employer puts on social media it influences everything from talent acquisition to how employees, you know, connect with the company when they work there to how a company treats employees when they leave. You know, and I'm sure I, I don't remember the name of the company earlier this year or end of last year, a tech company laid off 900 people by Zoom right before Christmas. And that went viral all over LinkedIn and other places. And that's an example to me of an employee brand that pretty much killed itself right off the bat by one action. And, you know, that's going to be very, very hard to make up. On the other hand, like uh, Dobbs was saying, you know, having employee ambassadors on social media is invaluable to give a firsthand look at what it's like to be there. And the thing that I find so interesting about TikTok is that it reaches people where they are in a younger demographic, you know, you look at the demographics of TikTok users and it's, you know, 25% or under 29. It enables brands to get in front of people early while they're still forming opinions. And yeah, I agree with Andrew. People know they're being sold to, but it's a good way to engage them early in the early in the brand building. Yeah, it was better.com that uh, laid off 900 people um, yes. back in December last year. Um, I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, using employees to drive conversation on social uh, and mm-hmm. indeed actually on other platforms is really important. I mean, you know, we, we actually got some research around this um, from a previous report that we, we launched earlier this year, or sorry, last year, uh, which found that only 3% of employees share content about their company, but that those shares are responsible for driving 30, a 30% increase in the total engagement of a, of a company. Interesting. So, you know, on, on social, that is. Um, yeah. So I think employees as brand advocates is often a missed opportunity. And, and, you know, I'm actually thinking that is this is this going to be as seen on TikTok is like, you know, as seen on TikTok, this is how, you know, as a, as a talent acquisition piece. Yes, now, it can. It can be, definitely. And, you know, in thinking about demographics, there's now a group of consumers who have grown up on social media, on video, 
on having all their communications right in their hand and on demand. And it's in one part, when considering that, it's not really a surprise that TikTok is so successful because it brings together all those concepts and it's easy to use. Dallas, any final words you've got around TikTok and how it, where it's going to go? I mean, obviously, this prediction is around how it's going to you know, be used almost as a, as a way to drive further sales because it's going to be almost like a kite mark. You know, hey, we saw, mm. you saw this on TikTok. It must be, it must be great. Where do you think it will end up? Yeah, I mean, I think what's going to be really interesting to watch, I mean, TikTok's definitely not going anywhere. We know that, you know, especially talking about that younger generation, like to them, it's their main platform. It's they don't even touch Instagram anymore. So, you know, right. brands need to understand that. And and basically, if at this point you don't have a TikTok strategy or aren't considering what it should be looking like for you, that's a problem. Um, but, you know, I do think with that as well, it's going to be interesting looking at some of the kind of, you know, social and media intelligence platforms. A lot of them have only just kind of started to really allow for for marketers to truly listen to what is happening on TikTok and get that, you know, that understanding of what is being talked about and who's talking about it and how. And so we're going to see a lot evolve there, I think, in terms of picking up on those trends. And then, you know, the, tr- the concept of trend jacking uh, is taking on a whole new shape now with this with this um with this as seen piece. So I think we're going to see a lot of marketers kind of try to understand what conversations are happening, what trends are happening specifically on platforms like TikTok and how they can tap into them. And of course, when indeed their own products and brands are being talked about and how how they can elevate that conversation, both in physical environments and across other channels. So that definitely is uh, where, where that's headed. But I think across the board, when we look at all of our social and content related trends in the current report, you know, the common denominator with all of those, whether we're talking about as seen on social, we're talking about, you know, the rise of influencer subscription models, social subscription models, live shopping, you know, creators, influencers are the common denominator there. So it's really the year of the creator. Um, and I think we need to, as marketers, as brands, really make sure that, you know, we're considering how we work with creators in the most powerful ways, because they're truly in a position of power right now and able to, you know, make money in so many different ways, both through brand collaborations, but also directly by using content as a commodity. So that's a major theme that I think is just interesting to to continue to monitor. I'll close this off then. I mean, this has been a fascinating discussion. So thank you, Dab, Andrew, and Catherine. Today, obviously, we've been discussing our Red Sky predictions report for 2022. There will be a link in the show notes So you can all have a look at it and look at the 10 trends. I mean, we've discussed a a number today, corporate purpose or bust, how personnel is getting personal and as seen on social is the new as seen on TV uh, trends. But there are 10 there. So enjoy that. And thank you again to to Dab, Andrew and Catherine for being with us today. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.